0: Hello and thank you for listening. I'm Jay Lemons. Welcome to Leaders on Leadership, brought to you by Academic Search and the American Academic Leadership Institute. The purpose of our podcast is to share the stories of the people and forces that have shaped leaders in higher education and to learn more about their thoughts on leadership in the academy. Today I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Damien Fernandez. Damian is the president of Eckerd College on the Gulf Coast of Florida, a post he began earlier this summer. He previously served as chancellor of Penn State Abington, provost and executive vice president at SUNY Purchase, and head of the Fieldston School in New York City. Damian was born in Cuba, raised in Puerto Rico. He's a first-generation college graduate with a bachelor's degree from Princeton, a master's degree in Latin American studies from the University of Florida, and a Doctorate in International Relations from the University of Miami. Welcome, Damien.
1: Thank you, Jay, for having me on your podcast.
0: It is a joy, and I am especially grateful for your finding um, uh, a few moments in the midst of your earliest months at Eckerd and uh, as we all share in the misery agony and uh, challenges of the uh, of the COVID-19 pandemic so hopefully this will be a little break from uh, those rigors.
1: I I welcome the break.
0: (laughs) You and I had the pleasure of really become acquainted through the search that brought you to Eckerd and and during that process I learned you have a special connection to Eckerd that goes back many years. Um, as I recall, um, your college search involved making applications to two institutions. And I'd love for you to open up our time together by starting with a little bit about your college search.
1: Um, um, it, it was an unpredictable process. Um, as a first-generation college student, my parents uh, weren't much assistance in the process but I had a wonderful college counselor, Father Hendricks, who um, interrupted my chemistry class to call me so I could meet with Princeton recruiters. Um, And uh, never would I have have I expected that I would be uh, admitted to Princeton, applying to Princeton, affording Princeton, um, and, that encouraged me to apply after that meeting and I also applied to Eckerd. I did apply to a couple of other places and um, I knew of Eckerd uh, because I have family in in this area and I would drive by to the beach with them and I would see this beautiful campus and the more I got to know about Eckerd and its international uh, focus, its mentoring program, its life of the mind and its commitment to impacting the world, it sounded like me. So when I got accepted to Eckerd and to Princeton, I was toying with coming to Eckerd and Father Hendricks called me in and said, what are you thinking? Um, you, uh, you don't say no to Princeton University. So off I went to Princeton and I like to think that I took a 45 year detour to come back to Eckerd
0: College. The ultimate in deferred admissions. Yes, absolutely.
1: (laughs) And delighted to be here.
0: Uh, well, it's, uh, I, I, I wish you well, um, and I know that the Eckerd community uh, has been excited about your arrival and, um, and wish you all, all the best. Um, Thank you. Y- you. You mentioned Father Hendricks, so you, it sounds like you um, went to a, a, a Catholic school, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love for you to share with us whatever you're willing about the other people and events and opportunities that really forged you into the person you are, and now a higher education leader who's answered the call to the presidency at Eckerd.
1: So I I think I had three major um, influences in my life. My dad being one, and my dad's sense of social justice. My dad had a third grade education. He grew up in Cuba, uh, was an orphan, worked very hard, And really empowered us to to go forth in the world and and to achieve. And and he believed in education, but he also believed in people and in being connected to others. So he influenced my sense of of doing good in the world. The second was before I got to the Jesuit school, I went to a Mennonite school. Hmm. And for the Mennonites, I got this strong sense of community and that you need to think of others, not only about you um, and their communitarian spirit influenced me. Then by chance, really, I got into the best high school on the island, the Jesuit school, all boys. Um, And there, the principal of the school, Father Charlie Byrne, who later became president of Le Moyne College and he was dean at Georgetown, this remarkable man um, saw something in me that I had not seen in myself. Yes, I, I worked hard, I got good grades, I was extremely shy, I was really a wallflower. And Father Byrne picked me to lead a social service program in the slums of Puerto Rico. And that was transformative. That put me on the front line of leadership like I had never experienced. So there, both the sense of social justice, the commitment to community, and the sense that individuals can do good in the world all came together and, and sort of clicked for me. And from there um, on to Princeton. and um, But I have to thank my my dad and my mom, but also the Mennonites, um, and, and father Hendricks, um, uh, Charlie Byrne, um, who became lifelong mentors to me. That's but I, I, I would be remiss if I don't mention my first grade teacher, Mrs. Garcia, who wrote in my report card, Damien needs to learn how to play with the other kids in the playground. And that always, uh, struck me as right as a lifelong lesson um, and learning to play well with others has been uh, key in, in my career.
0: Wow, well, that's, that's what one calls a lifelong lesson, huh? Uh, that, Absolutely. That's terrific. That's terrific. Um, you know, one of the things that, that I want people to think about is what makes a good leader? and 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 here by good i don't mean grade b i really mean effective virtuous results oriented someone who realizes success how do you define a good leader
1: um and that's such an essential question for us um at every level of our society and in our nation and the world today And I think that having a purpose beyond yourself is foundational for good leadership. Um, Knowing yourself, but really be in the service of higher ideals. And I believe, I believe that education is the way that I can help make the world a better place. And it's trite and it's old fashioned And I've been proved wrong time and time again, but I still hold on to that belief, that faith, that education can make us better human beings and contribute to better societies. Um, So that sense of articulation of goodness beyond the individual, that inspires others Uh, to follow. I'm also very cognizant that as a leader, you're only a leader in relationship to the followers. And you need to focus on the followers more than the leaders. And in every position I've had, I've tried to understand the culture of the place, the communitarian ethos of that place, and serve as a catalyst more than a revolutionary Um, someone that speaks the authentic vernacular of that place so that changes and that the progress being made is true to the spirit of that community.
0: Thank you. I, I really appreciate those reflections. I don't know whether you share in Rosabeth Moss Cantor's observation that leadership is not a solo act, Hmm. but is um, almost always, um, uh, uh, you know, a a trio, a quartet or a small uh, ensemble. And and it raises up for me when I, when I think about, um, I want you to reflect a little bit on when you're creating that team, what are you looking for in the leaders who share in those responsibilities with you?
1: So I think that is right. It is not a one-person show. Uh, And if you approach it that way, um, I think at least in the academy and in most institutions, you will not um, succeed in establishing long-term impact um, beyond a a very small space. So I, I always look for what I call believers, people who share this commitment to taking the institution to a higher place, um, and that they're motivated beyond the self to do some good. There is almost a pastoral um, piece here, a missionary zeal, um, that I want others to share with me. Um, I also want people who are smarter than me Um, As hardworking, I don't expect them to work harder than me, but we're committed to the work and to the process and to the joy of coming together and and shaping an institution uh, for good. So I I am the type that I want the brightest, uh, the most driven, uh, but kind and honest people. That to me is non-negotiable. Hard work kindness, and honesty. Those three virtues can come together. And at least in my experience, they lead to better outcomes.
0: Thank you. Um, I, I, I really appreciate um, uh, that perspective. And I, um, and I hear in everything that you have said, um, I know you value the you value humility as well. And I hear it in what you're saying and, and I, and how you conduct yourself as well. So.
1: And and Jay, the older I get, the more convinced I am that leaders also need to know how to disappear. Um, and how to share the responsibility, the accountability, the power, if one wants to bring out the best in others. And to me, that is the ultimate act of leadership. And the wise leader tries to elevate everyone and bring the best in other people. And that requires some self erasure at at some level and let others assume uh, prominence and and, and lift others um, along the way.
0: You know, I once worked with a, uh, a president who said, the key to presidential success is to be, um, two things, to be gone often and long. And, <laughs> and, and in part, I think, it took me a long time to figure that out, but I think the point that he was making was really what you were saying. If the leader is always in the middle of it, ever present, um, um, it doesn't necessarily provide the space for others to rise and to uh, to fill um, the leadership gap. So I, I, that's, I really appreciate your saying that.
1: And, and that's also a way of inspiring others. I, I think it's important to lay out the outline of a vision. But ensure that you get buy-in in in the process and then um, distribute the responsibility of working towards that vision together.
0: Very good. You know, the American Academic Leadership Institute, our partner institution, um, uh, is uh, committed to trying to help people who are interested in leadership, who have been raised up as having potential. And I would welcome, um, knowing that that is a significant cadre of our audience some, you're sharing your advice for those who might aspire to leadership in the academy.
1: Uh, I think um, leaders are not born, they're made. Um, I am an unexpected leader. I was shy, quiet, um, a wallflower. And I think it shows that talent can come in many different forms. And by providing the opportunity, is where you can seed future leadership. But my advice is, first of all, show up and do the work. Um, The other things will follow because your colleagues will notice that. Show up, do the work, do it in the spirit of service. And if it weren't for my colleagues who pushed me, who opened doors for me, I I wouldn't be here. But something I did, I always showed up, and I did the work. And the other thing fell through. I am not someone who has curated their career and had this uh, outline of a trajectory, ascendant trajectory, uh, drafted or, um, pre pre planned i i 've enjoyed the process, um, and it really has been working in teams and and others um, helping me uh, move forward
0: Thank you very much um, uh, there 's a for me there 's emergent uh, a consistent theme here around um, uh, an understanding of the larger world, uh, a commitment to serving others uh, to integrity um, to goodness um, and to showing up and working hard um, and um, um, and then let the pieces fall where they may um, so uh, thank you i i uh, I oft um, will share with search committees that um, uh, beware of those with the Higher ed version of Potomac Fever. Uh, <laughs> their lives won't be complete unless they are a dean or a vice president or a president. Um, and uh, um, and it is uh, what you've just described as something very different. And I appreciate it. Thank you. When you think about the challenges in higher education today, um, what are the most critical ones?
1: To me, the most critical one is how does higher education help build the nation that we should be? America is still an unfinished project, and it's our duty to continue working on that project through access, through a new pipeline of students ensuring their success, and in the process, developing a skill set that allows us as Americans, as citizens, to get along and to contribute to the nation that we aspire to be. That is essential work. That is unfinished work. And we must be cognizant of of that. So in many ways that is going back to the core of higher ed as an engine of social mobility, but with an intentionality around civic engagement, nation building, that must be articulated and delivered in clear terms. Um, And I think that this is a challenge that we all need to uh, accept and, and commit our institutions to moving the dial in, in some of these key areas of who do we educate, how we educate, and for what reasons do we educate.
0: Is it your view that we've lost sight a little bit of, of those larger purposes? I,
1: I, yeah, I, I think so. And it's not that we act in a vacuum. We're part of an economy. We are part of a global context that has become highly instrumental, um, very functional, and therefore, one of the predominant views of higher education is to um, create a workforce and, um, and to teach X, Y, or Z subjects. So, in fact, we teach students and we educate human beings and we need to be preparing individuals to shape the world in better ways. Um, I know that 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 is a romantic notion, but it's something that we need to recommit ourselves to to that difficult work. Um, It is harder work. It's elusive and it's hard to measure uh, and it's even hard to to teach. Uh, One of the things I've always been interested in, uh, and I think I got this from the Jesuits, is How do you teach love? How do you teach empathy? Um, and, And yes, at the same time that we build skills and get students ready for careers, we now know that emotional intelligence and soft skills are as important for success and that working in diverse groups are necessary and in teams to address very complex problems. But to present science as the only way of saving the human race is not enough. I think we need to marry science with ethics and humanities to be able to craft um, better solutions for the challenges of our time. So I I think that that's where we need to go um, as, as higher ed. And I know one size doesn't fit all, but at Eckerd, uh, that's where we're headed.
0: Thank you. Well, it, we we certainly live um, in a world filled with extraordinary human tragedies, and I just think about um, the beginning of this summer and the, the, the tragic loss of of George Floyd and and so many other um, horrific circumstances and the evidence of incredible polarization. And so, um, you know, I, I hear you making a call for a renewal of the social compact um, that, that's really necessary for um, the American experiment and democracy to flourish and to work.
1: Um, I, I think that's right, Jay. And I hope that our national professional organizations come together to re-energize that compact to operationalize what it means um, and and to guide us, because the American values serve us well. It's a matter of ensuring that they're applied and understood in ways that are inclusive for many. I I think that one of the things we have failed to do pre-K through 12 and even in higher ed is to teach American or US history in ways that are complex, nuanced and inclusive of the lived experience of this nation as a multilingual, multiracial uh, society really from get go. So uh, this is wonderful, challenging work. Um, And to marry again, the science and technology with a sense of common good and common purpose and ethics for a better, a better world.
0: Thank you very much. Um, um, and thank you for carrying on this important work at, uh, at you know, one of our great institutions at Eckerd, I, it's really appreciated. You know, I want to move now to a little bit more of a lightning rod. I'm going to ask you to, a series of questions and um, and uh, uh, you uh, provide whatever answers you want. Okay. So you And you have already answered the first one in some really wonderful ways, but um, are, are there other people in your life who have had a profound influence on you besides those you've already identified?
1: Um, I have to say my grandmother, my, my grandmother, on my father's side thought that I could do anything. Um, and it, you always need someone like that on your side. And I have found such strength in the women of my family, Uh, my great grandmother buried both her mother and her father in the war of 1898 in Cuba at the age of 15. And she was a maid and then became a renowned midwife. And anytime that I think I have a challenge, I think about Abuela Calixta, my grandmother, and I realize that there is such strength there and resilience. So I find strength in that narrative about um, survival and um, success that I find in my family. I always also have to say that uh, my professors in graduate school, um, other colleagues, again, have always supported and believed in me more than I believed in myself.
0: Very good. What's your fondest memory of your undergraduate experience at Princeton?
1: My fondest memory was a French professor, Professor uh, Mamal of the uh, of the Romance Language Department, um, and I had been accepted to a summer program in Avignon, and I did not have the money to go. And I went to see him, and a couple of days later he called me back, and he had a Princeton alum there with him. And this man wrote a check for $450 so I could take the flight from Newark to Paris so I could go in this summer program to France. And he said, only one condition, that someday you will do the same thing for someone else. And that stayed with me as a lesson in generosity, philanthropy, um, and really small gestures that have larger impact. Um, I, I treasure
0: that. uh Wonderful. Um, uh, we have all benefited by the um, acts of kindness and generosity of, of those close to us, and oftentimes people unknown, just as you shared, and uh, paying it forward. Um okay. uh, an important lesson. What are your favorite school colors? Um, teal. Um, <laughs> because
1: well, you know, that, that, that is the Eckerd College color. And I've always loved green and blue, and green and blue make teal, so uh, I ended in the right
0: place. Indeed, very good. What's um, a favorite tradition at a place that you have served and observed? I have to say that it's a recent tradition for me. I've only participated
1: participated in once, and it's called the Ceremony of Lights at Eckerd. We pass a torch that symbolizes knowledge and wisdom and all the students light a candle. This year, because of COVID, instead of doing it in the auditorium, we took it outside. And this is a stunning campus. We did it around Fox Pond as the sunset. and we passed these candles. Uh, it's a moment, uh, a glorious moment community and hope. And it's such a small gesture to light that candle, but it's such a big moment of hope. And it was beautiful.
0: Uh, Thank you for sharing. I can almost see it, sense it, and feel it. And, um, uh, you know, ritual and tradition are part and parcel of the academy and are part of what make these distinctive environments. So um, th- I, that's, that's a great one. Perhaps one of those oddities of, you are blessed with beautiful weather. Um, and um, uh, having to do it outdoors um, uh, probably brought um, even an additional sense of connectivity to a campus that is deeply committed to thinking about the fragility of our earth. So um,
1: I am trying to convince the organizers of the Ceremony of Lights that from now on, we should do it outside around Fox Pond. Um, And they're a little trepidatious because sometimes we get rain, but I I think it's the right thing for us. We embrace the outdoors. We are um, stewards of this beautiful place and we are committed to environmental sustainability. So uh, we find in nature a sense of sustenance and inspiration. So um, we will keep it, keep it that way.
0: Well, it, 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 very interesting, the ways in which sometimes challenges, um, you know, stretch, enhance, change traditions, and you can always have a rain plan. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> so, Damien, if you hadn't worked in higher education, what else might you have done what other worlds might you have um, uh, set about in so um,
1: I, I had so many other possibilities from being from being an architect or um, veterinarian but I also wanted to be a writer um, and at Princeton I had the good fortune of taking several courses with Joyce Carroll Lodes. Um, wow. and and that is one of the Um, unfulfilled dreams of of writing a novel, Um, so perhaps in in another life of being a writer.
0: Love it. Well, as we move towards a a close, uh, one of our traditions here on Leaders on Leadership is we like to ask our guests to share with our listeners um, something about the special qualities, if you will, the organizational DNA that made Eckerd a place that um, you were called to and have responded to with great embrace?
1: At at the heart of Eckerd's founding was this notion that education is personal. That's something that resonates with me. That education needs to be individualized, but for collective goodness. And that spirit has animated this place since its founding 60 years ago. So we're a young college, but in the 1960s to be talking about a hand-built education, Mm -hmm. education as an individualized uh, process was novel. And uh, we hold that dear, we mentor our students we care for a student at a time, um, and I, I think that that is worth preserving and celebrating and advancing.
0: Thank you very much. We appreciate Damian Fernandez being with us on Leaders on Leadership. We're really appreciative of your sharing um, some about your background, the forces that have shaped you, and, and uh, offering some thoughts and wisdom about leadership um, with us.
1: Thank you so much, Jay.
0: Listeners, um, we welcome your suggestions and thoughts for leaders we should feature in upcoming segments. Um, You can send those to leadershippodcast at academicsearch.org. You can find our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you find your podcasts. It's also available on the Academic Search website. Leaders on Leadership is brought to you by Academic Search and the American Academic Leadership Institute. Together, our mission is to support colleges and universities during times of transition and through leadership development activities that serve current and future generations of leaders in the academy. Again, it's been a special pleasure to have Damian Fernandez on our show today. Thank you, Damian, for joining us. Have a great day.